When I was a sophomore at Kelvin College, I was part of a group that visited Germany for five weeks. Now, when you're learning a foreign language, it's amazing to hear little children speaking that language fluently. One little boy we met in Germany was the son of the owner of a place where we stayed, and no matter what this little boy's father said to him, the child had a one-word response. Warum? Why? Now, this was years before I became a parent and discovered that the question why is on the lips of children a lot. It's how they discover how the world works. But sometimes after we grow up, we don't ask why often enough, especially on familiar subjects. A good example is the cross of Jesus Christ. Why? Why a cross? Why a crucifixion? On this episode of Groundwork, we will ask that very question. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, we are kicking off with this program, a seven-part series on the cross of Jesus. And we're doing this as a, a Lenten reflection for the season of Lent that will then lead us also up to Easter. And we're going to ask the question, why did Jesus have to die on a cross? I love this season because we're actually preparing for the great resurrection day mm. is really good for us to understand why we do what we do. Cause sometimes we get so caught up in mm. the tradition and the right. season and the church calendar that we don't pay close attention to the implications of what it means. So we're going to, uh, in the course of the series, we'll ask, how are we involved in Jesus death? You know, we're going to look at different aspects of the cross uh, and there are quite a few. Again, we're going to have a seven part series on it. So there are lots of different angles we can take on the cross, but we don't want to do it academic. Right. We don't want to do this just for the sake of asking questions. We're involved in this, Daryl. And so this has deep application for our lives. And we'll see that by the end of this program. And we hope that everybody can see that by the end of the whole series as well. But today, specifically, we're going to take on that big question. Why? Why did Jesus have to die on a cross specifically? It couldn't be just he get hit by a car or he, you know, just passed away in natural causes. It had to be a specific way. A death by food poisoning wouldn't have done it, right? If he had a, a stroke or a heart attack, right? Somehow or another, the Bible says, no, this cross has to be the way Jesus dies. We have to recognize that according to the Bible, something is very, very seriously wrong with this world, and it has to be fixed in a very, very serious way. When I was in Bible college, the professor talked about the radical seriousness of our sin. And a lot of us like to kind of glaze over and minimize things, but we realize that even when you get into the Bible, we can't even get through to chapter three before right. you see the fall of humanity happen and everything changed from that point on. And that's where I'd like to pick up in Genesis three, picking up from these words. It says, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this. Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So there it is. Uh, after eating the forbidden fruit, being tempted by the serpent, we get here, uh, Daryl, and we've we've talked about this before on Groundwork. Genesis three fifteen here is what uh, scholars have a very very big jaw breaking term, the proto evangelium, which literally means the first hint of the gospel, uh, the first preview of the gospel. Somebody is going to come from a woman who's going to crush the head of this serpent. There's going to be a battle. 
but it's going to end well, there will be a fix to what just went terribly wrong there in the Garden of Eden. So that's the first hint of the gospel already in Genesis chapter 3. And by the time we get to the New Testament, uh, we find the apostles um, kind of given some interpretations on, on how that all goes. So there's also right here in Romans 5, Paul is speaking about it. He says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. For if the many died, the trespass of one man, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Romans 5 here, Paul basically says, you know, there's an old saying, what is it? In Adam's fall, we sinned all, right? Adam and Eve took us all down the tubes. (laughs) Death came to everybody through these original parents. Uh, We sometimes refer to them as our, our first parents in paradise. That's not so good. But Paul says there's a flip side. Life can come to all who believe through a second Adam. So we had the first Adam messed up, brought death to all of us. But there's going to be a second Adam, and he's going to be so full of grace, and he's going to be so full of the power of God that if you associate yourself with that second Adam, you're going to get more life coming from him than you got death from the first Adam. And that's also the gospel. What's beautiful about that, Scott, is that from Genesis 3 on, you see God's redemptive plan active at work in human history. So God built in a solution even before we fully understood the problem. So God is actually on the case and doing this, initiating and intervening this situation that's going to become a blessing for us. And so Paul calls him metaphorically Jesus, the second Adam, so that we could be redeemed. Indeed. So something went terribly wrong in God's good order. And if it's one thing, Daryl, that that we see from the get-go in the Bible, right, is that there are some things that are so bad you can't just wave them away. You, You can't just sweep it under the rug. This was a situation of cosmic sinfulness and brokenness. So God couldn't just say to Adam and Eve, oh, okay, let's just pretend that didn't happen. Okay, we can just go on now. Forgive and forget, live and let live, live and learn. No, something something big got busted and it's going to have to be fixed in a very, very serious uh, way. And I understand that God has a holy character. It's spotless, it's blameless, it's perfect. And sin in the presence of a holy God, God is offended by this Mm, sin. mm. That's why it can't be ignored. He wouldn't be a good judge. He wouldn't be righteous if he just said, oh, don't worry about it. We'll, We'll think about that later. God is holy. He has to address it. But the way he addresses it is the really interesting thing that I'd love us to talk about. Exactly. And and we'll be talking about it in this program and the, the next six in the seven-part series on the cross. My teacher, Neil Pleininga, noted in a systematic theology class I took in seminary back in the 1980s that isn't it odd that in the Bible it looks like creating the universe was easier for God than redeeming it? In Genesis, it goes boom, boom, boom. Or the Germans would say, tuck, tuck, tuck. Let there be, let there be, let there be, pop, pop, pop. It just happened, right? But salvation is going to take longer, and the Son of God is going to be screaming in pain and agony from a cross before it's done. It looks a lot harder to fix it almost than it did to create it in the first place. 
if that road to redemption takes a lot longer and it's going to be more pain for him, then we get to see that unfold in the scripture and in our lives. But in the next moment, we're going to explore the aspect of justice Mm -hmm. so we can go deeper. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. I'm Scott Jose, along with Daryl Delaney, and you're listening to Groundwork and this first episode of a seven-part season of Lent series, Daryl, on the cross of Jesus. What does it mean? What are the components of a crucifixion that were necessary for our salvation. We're going to be exploring that in this series. And in this particular one, we're looking sort of the the big question, why did Jesus have to die in a violent way at all? And we've already answered the question because something went really, really wrong in God's creation. And we encounter that already in Genesis 3. And also we talked about how God's holy character was offended by that. And that is an issue not only of just holiness and righteousness, but justice as well. And so we want to spend some time here unpacking a little bit about God's just character. John Calvin, the theologian, the Reformation theologian, when he tried to define the image of God, he said, well, the image of God means that Adam and Eve are pre-sinful selves, were created in perfect righteousness, knowledge, and holiness. We were created holy like God is holy. We're righteous. So what do we mean by righteousness? Uh, Well, it means that there is such a thing as a moral straight edge. There's a straight line in the universe, God, right? God's character is righteous and holy. So he's the straight line to which everybody else has to compare what the lines of their lives look like. And the question is, do we line up? We had a good one-to-one correspondence with God's moral line, or are we at variance? And the bad news is we found ourselves way at variance there. We've tried our best in our own efforts to make straight lines. And it's kind of like a person who doesn't know how to write with their non-dominant hand trying to write things. You'll never be able to understand it. And so our best efforts, the Bible says that we all fall short of the glory of God. And so because God has that holy standard, we have to understand how sinful we are. And I think this scripture here in Isaiah chapter 10 explains how sinful we can be. And we have made unjust laws and we've lived in unjust ways. So Isaiah 10, woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey, robbing the fatherless. What will you do on the day of reckoning when disaster comes from afar? To whom will you run for help? Where will you leave your riches? So there in Isaiah, Daryl, that theme of justice, which uh, in Hebrew and in Greek is basically the same word as righteousness. Tzedekah in Hebrew, dikaiosune in Greek, um, for those who like to hear those words, probably about two, three people uh, like to hear those words. But um, we don't, as you said, we we don't line up, you know, I've got a piece of paper in my hand that was printed on a word processor, and uh, this document is left justified, which means all the words on the left side of the page are in a straight line, just like the edge of the paper. They're justified 
They line up right. We aren't justified next to God's straight line. My, I don't know about you, but uh, my moral line is zigzags. Um, <laughs> I, I don't walk in a straight moral line for long before I mess up. And I'm crooked. I'm not corresponding. I'm not justified with God's straight edge morality. And God's made that clear in Scripture how we should live. And the problem, and I'm guilty of this too, is that sometimes I compare my moral line to some other person's moral line, which will probably sometimes make me look better. But that has never been the standard for me to measure my moral line to someone else's moral line. It's always been to God's standard of moral line, and we fall definitely short of it. And the issue with this, like you were reading in the passage, Scott, is that there's a serious situation that has happened. There's been a crime and somebody's got to pay for that. We can't just let it go because of God's character. Now, if we're in a court of law and we saw a judge who just dismissed every case, we would say, what a horrible judge. But then God is a judge par excellence. And so he has to deal with crime. He has to deal with brokenness and sin. Yeah, there there are a lot of things that go wrong in life that we can sort of just sort of wink at or say it's okay. You know, somebody breaks a glass at the dinner table by mistake or, you know, you hit a baseball and it breaks somebody's window. But when there's a kidnapping, when there is a rape, when there is a murder or a, a, a lynching, people in all societies, basically all through history, have looked at that and said, that's not right. Something's got to be done. Right. We can't fix it many times. If somebody's dead, um, if they've been murdered, we can't fix it. Uh, We can't restore the situation, but somehow the books of justice had better balance. So some kind of punishment has to be meted out. Something has to be done. We say that. Something has to be done. And as you said, Daryl, if we say that, God for sure says it. And God does have the divine ledger that balances all books. He Hmm. does. You just mentioned if someone gets raped or gets murdered, Mm -hmm. that can't be ignored. And that's our God. He's a whole he has a holy character. And if you're a just and good judge, you're going to address this situation um, in a way that is different than pardon. So what I wanted to tell you, too, was that grace and mercy are different from pardon. Right. So if you ignore a sin then that is not pardon. That is mercy. That is grace. You don't deserve that. Pardon is when charges are dropped. And God has to intervene in order for charges to change. And he does with his son. We apply that to individual situations, to an individual person who committed a crime. But we can pull back a little farther. And sometimes we see how systemic evil can be. And whole societies or governments, the Nazis, had to be held accountable. Hitler died, uh, different people. But the Nazis that survived and were captured were put on trial in Nuremberg after the World War II, right? Apartheid in South Africa. Yeah, it, it was ended, right? Uh, and, and Nelson Mandela became president, but they just couldn't let the past drop. So Archbishop Desmond Tutu chaired the Truth and Reconciliation yeah. Commission. We got to talk this out. We got to admit what happens, and there's got to be some sort of consequences because otherwise we look at it, we say, well, that ain't right. That's just not right. You can't just, you know, or, you know, we've seen it, unfortunately, in the United States when police murder sometimes an innocent black man and then the juries don't convict him. And we say he got away with it. Right. That's not right. And again, God says that about our individual lives. He would say that about a whole society. But Daryl, God also says it about the whole world, the whole cosmos. Because God has the best 
point of view to address these situations from the divine place that he sees all things, he is able to actually address this situation. And when injustice happens, we have our feelings about it. We get upset. We get angry. We get feel like we get let down. We want to see justice happen right swiftly. Habakkuk talks about this in his book. He actually says this. How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. He is actually irritated no. because he sees it not happening. Why do you make me look at injustice, Habakkuk said? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? The law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. That's the beginning uh, of the book of Habakkuk. Are you going to sit there or are you going to do something, God, right? Uh, well, God is going to do something, something Deep is broken, something tragic has happened, and the something, are you going to do something or not, God? The something is God's Son on the cross. And as we close the program in a minute, we'll wonder a little bit more about that why question, but also what it means for our lives yet today. So stay tuned. What does it look like to honor and serve God in your marriage and family? Visit FamilyFire.com to discover how you can better live out your faith in the context of your relationships. At FamilyFire.com, you'll find articles and devotions curated to encourage you to stoke the Holy Spirit's flame in your home. You'll also find an online community that can help you explore what it means to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your family as a spouse, parent, or even an in-law. Join the community and be encouraged at FamilyFire.com. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And in this first program of our series on aspects of the cross of Jesus Christ, we're asking the big why question. Why did God's son have to die on a cross? And and the answer, Daryl, that we've come to in this program is that sin and evil in this world have resulted in such huge issues of injustice that something has to be done. Something has to set things back to right again. The scales of justice have to balance somehow. Somebody has to pay. So because God is holy, he cannot allow it to just go away or just kind of sweep it under mm. the rug. It must be addressed. And so God has a holy standard he wants us to live by, and we've offended that. That's why it's important. And, of course, in the Bible, right, you, you said earlier, Daryl, God just can't abide being in the presence of unholiness, right? So, he, you know, one solution might be, well, let's see if, how people can do on their own, right? So God comes to Abraham in Genesis, walk before me and be blameless. Mm -hmm. Or he comes to the Israelites centuries later when they become a nation, be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. He says that in Leviticus, right? Well, how did Abraham and Israel do in, <laughs> in following up on that? Oh, I call it the stupid cycle um, <laughs> because they follow God and then they fall off and disobey God. And then the consequences of that sin comes and then they call for help. And then there's a judge or a king or some other messianic figure who comes in and during their life, they live great again. When that person dies, they fall off again. I've had that cycle in my life, too, where I confess, repent, go back, confess, repent, go back. And God wants us to get off the crazy chain. We can't do it on our own righteousness. And Israel found it out. Abraham found it out. I found it out. I'm sure you did too, Scott. Right, exactly. And even, so, you know, we get that whole cycle of after David and Solomon, we get that whole cycle of sometimes you get, well, mostly wicked kings. But then right. you would get a good king, Jehu or somebody like that, who would kind of temporarily set the train back on the tracks. Even David, the man after God's own heart, ends up 
you know, having an affair with a woman, murdering her husband to cover it up. That's David. Yeah. He was the best. And his line, his moral line, ended up being a big zigzag, too, at one point. So something is going to have to change. And that something comes out in Jeremiah 31 and, and similar passages where God's going to make a promise that he's going to fix this from the inside out, not just expecting people can do it on their own. The days are coming, declares the Lord, Jeremiah 31 here, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord. Because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. So this is actually very interesting to me, Scott, that God was always interested in what's going on inside of us. Right. And this new covenant tells us that we're not just going to look on the wall or on your foreheads or your phylacteries or on your doorposts. No, we're going to put the law inside of you. Therefore, you will know what is right. You will know what is wrong. We tried to live our lives in a way that we thought was necessary. And that line is zigzag all over the place. And so God has to intervene. And the first step of that intervention is to put the law inside of us. Exactly. Why? Walk before me and be blameless, fail. Be holy as I am holy, fail. Our efforts uh, on our own human power aren't going to do it. So ultimately what Jeremiah is promising here is something we also see in, in some of the other prophets like Joel, who says, I'm going to put my very spirit inside right. people. And we now know that's Pentecost, right? But it's possible because of the crucifixion again. So why did Jesus die on the cross? That's the question of the hour for this Groundwork program. And it's because we were going to have to change from the inside and only the grace of God that would pour through a sacrifice where Jesus took our place, right? That's the only way we could get to the new humanity, that new heart on the inside, because we all contribute. I mean, sure, we mess up and sin in our individual lives, Daryl, but we were talking earlier about larger systems of injustice in the world, and, you know, we contribute to that, too. We make choices. We support certain policies. Uh, we make lifestyle decisions or voting decisions, and sometimes they prop up injustice that hurts a lot of people. We're all trapped in it. We can only be rescued from the outside. In 2022, at the January series at Calvin University, we had a speaker. Her name was Latasha Morrison. Mm -hmm. And she said that sometimes the laws that are written are not just. And so sometimes we have to disobey them, even though it, culturally speaking, we're taught to obey the law. But here's the thing where God sees that we have broken all the laws and we can't even get ourselves out of it. We're so entrenched and enmeshed in the situation that we're in that we need divine help and divine intervention. Because the scripture says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that's Romans 3.23. And the wages of sin is death. So someone has to die in order for that to happen. And that's where Jesus' atoning sacrifice comes in. It's a beautiful thing where justice is served, but love is displayed at the same time. And as you said, Daryl, we just can't do this on our own. The injustice runs too deep. The scars and the wounds of evil in human history are just too deep. I can't fix it. You can't fix it. Together we can't fix it, right? So why the cross? Because there was no other way. 
the Son of God had to go that far and suffer that much to tackle the problems that uh, fill this fallen creation. So, Darrell, we started the program talking about children. Children who ask a little German boy, warum, warum? He's always thinking, why? But our children, too. Why? Why? And we said, kids ask why because that's how they figure out how the world works. Well, we now as adults have to ask why about the cross and other things because that's how we figure out how salvation works. Why is the most important question because if we don't know why what we do what we do, then what's the point of doing the things that we know are, are necessary? So for our own growth, for our own situation and understanding why the cross, why? Because God so loved the world and he gave his one and only son that whosoever will believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's why the cross. Thanks be to God. And thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Daryl Delaney. We hope you'll join us again next time as we study Scriptures that help us to understand the curse of the cross. Connect with us at GroundworkOnline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit ReframeMinistries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob. <laughs>